you there? I'm here. What? You there? I'm here. Oh no! Shit! <laughs> I, I, I think right. I. Da 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 da. Wow. Guitar wank. It's it's still. What's going on? <laughs> oh man, are we on the air? Uh, I I don't know. It's been. It feels like it's been decades. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but are we on the air? I think we are. Oh. We are. Just taking some stuff off here. One, speak again. Hello. Testicles. One, two, three. Testicles. One, two. Awesome. It's like a, oh, it's almost like a professional studio here. Oh, wow. You know. I said almost. Let's not don't get carried away. That, don't let that happen again. <laughs> oh, man. God, I'm tired. Wow. Yeah. Good thing. All right, Mr. Foreman. Whoa, he went back down to just the two of us. There's nobody else in the world that wants to be on Guitar Wing. That's it. It's just us two now, man. It's, uh, yeah. was it the apocalypse is, is over, but we're, we're the only ones left. Yeah, everything opened up, and so we're the only ones left to do this. You know, Everybody else is busy doing other shit. <laughs> what are you going to do? We're the last people to call. You know? Recording in progress. Whoa. Whoa. That's, that's high tech. That's the first time that's ever happened to me. <laughs> How you doing, man? I feel man, like we haven't know, done yeah. this for ages. It's it's long time between batting. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But you know, I mean, I've been on the road. You know, you've been busy. I've been my busy. first actual road trip since the, you know, other than driving down to L.A. It's my first road trip. I mean, we drove twenty five hundred miles in a cup in like a week. You know. Well, you gotta you gotta start from stop. Um, back a little bit and let the viewers, the listeners know what um, what you're talking about if they don't know. Uh, well, if they don't know, I mean, I'm assuming since we put it up on all the social media that everybody knows by now, but um, I <clears throat> became the next uh, conservator or custodian or caretaker of Barney Kessel's old ES350. It was something that I kind of always wanted to have, you know, just in the family. I know his, his wife, Phyllis, I'll bet Barney wanted me to have it, but um, it went for auction and, and I didn't get it because I thought it was going to go for too much money and I basically couldn't even watch the auction. It was hurting me too much. And then... When was, what was that? When was that? It was, I think, about somewhere between five and ten years ago. Okay. No, Phyllis held on to the guitar and I played it a bunch over at the house I think she just wanted to get some money out of it and needed, you know, needed it and, you know, didn't, she did not play it. So, you know, the only time it ever got played was when I was visiting. So when, when did Barney pass? Barney passed in 2004, I think, or 2006, one of that. How, how old was Barney? Oh, good question. I don't know. He was probably close to 80. Oh, wow. And yeah, but what he had a real bad, uh, bad, a rough dismount, as we would say, uh, I oh, did. He had a stroke, and he was coming back from it. it. Took a long time, and he was kind of getting better. And then he had another stroke that just took him out, and then a brain tumor. So it was a rough ten years or so of of that that right. Phyllis took care of him. Um, did it? Was he? Was he a, a with it in the end, or was it a, got him? No, at the very end, no. He was, you know, the brain tumor and the second right. stroke. It was really, it was really bad. So, 
Um, what a wonderful man, you know, and he, like I say, he had a rough dismount, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's... But, uh, but, you know, wow, what, a, what an incredible life's work, you know. Uh, it was 2004, like I said, and he was born in 23, so yeah, he would have been 81. Wow. You know, not quite, because he was born in October. Yeah. Died around my birthday in May, I remember. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I guess somehow... Phyllis was in touch, Barney's widow was in touch with the guy who had bought it at auction and they became kind of friendly. And uh, then I got his email and he lived out in Colorado. So whenever I would go out there, I'd invite him to my gigs and stuff. The guy plays gigs, so he never made it, but we stayed in touch. And then I was working a gig in Santa Cruz at a club that I had played with Barney and Barney was just like pinging me from the other side, deja vu, you know. And so I just sent an email to the guy saying, you know, thinking about Barney, I'm in this club that we played together. And if you ever want to get rid of that guitar, I'd appreciate first crack at it. And he got right back to me and says, man, you know, timing's amazing. I'm trying to sell my collection. He has a collect. Well, I didn't realize he was a collector. And, um, and he said he had a lot of offers on the uh, Barney guitar, but he wanted it to go to a museum or someplace special. And he says, you be special, so I would love for you to have it. So he just basically sold it to me for what he paid at auction, which was a staggering amount of money for me. But right. something, I just had to have it for a while. You know what I mean? I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Uh, it's worth a lot more money than I have paid for it, I'm sure. But... Um, that it's was just, really cool of the guy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He really he could have he could have made a lot more money, and he didn't. And uh, and and my I told him my my plan for it, which is I'm going to announce this probably tomorrow or the next day. It all depends. It's going to be a Kickstarter campaign. So all you people out there in Wankland, get ready for me begging, pleading, crying, robbing. Uh, you know, offering offering strange services for money. <laughs> record but uh, i'll be announcing we're going to do a uh, i'm going to call the record reunion and it's basically re revisiting the poll winners but not like we're not going to do the jazz school thing of playing their solos or playing their arrangements we're going to get the original instruments back together played by people who were mentored by their original owners so in other words it's me on barney's guitar and john clayton on ray brown's bass and jeff hamilton on shelly man's drums it's sort of like the kids playing the parents' instruments, you know. <laughs> and we're going to get together just like they did for the poll winners, and just make up arrangements on the spot and play them. We're not going to, we're not going to rehearse like they did. You know, they just won the poll, the downbeat poll, and then they got together and made a record. Right. That was the kind of the way they worked it. What What year is this? Uh, 1957, 58, 59, and 60. And then they got together again. I think either in the late 70s, maybe the early 80s. And just did a reunion of that, you know. But wow. um, the original ones were, there were four of them. And it was because they won the poll? Yeah, that's why they named the band the poll winners. They won the downbeat poll. Because that was right when uh, West Coast Jazz, you know, was really all the rage. Now, now explain to the listeners, what's the downbeat? Um, what's it okay, well, downbeat magazine it was, was pretty much the only or the main uh, magazine for jazz fans, right? It it still is. It's Downbeat and Jazz Times are the two biggest jazz magazines going. 
and uh, they have a poll every year. Both of them do. And Downbeat has had a poll going, you know, for for really like for seventy years now. Wow. And they they have they they now they have a critics poll and a readers poll. I think before it was just the readers poll. And um, and Barney and Ray and Shelley always won in those years because, like I say, the West Coast jazz was, you know, it was a real big movement in the jazz in the late fifties. Yeah. Wow. So. Um, so they would celebrate it by, uh, or commemorate it by making a record. And so we're just going to kind of 60 some years later, pull the, pull the instruments out and play them. You now, know, and the other, the other cats that are playing, are they all s- students? Uh, Ray Brown and, and oh, Shelley. Yeah. John, Clayton, John Clayton was heavily mentored by Ray Brown. He is the Ray Brown authority of the world. He has Ray Brown's bass. Yeah. Um, like I have Barney's guitar. Uh, Jeff Hamilton, again, is like, Bar- he came to L.A. and moved there because Shelly Mann gave him his gig with the L.A. Four, which Ray Brown was in that band. And like, the, all, the, all of us have played with everybody. I played with Shelly Mann in the Monterey Jazz Festival All-Star Band for a number of years. Uh, I played in Ray Brown's band, and when I did, Jeff Hamilton was the drummer. Um, of course, I played with Barney. Those guys all played with the other three guys as well. So, you know, it's like this family, really. Full circle with yeah, the so instruments. Together and with the instruments, just do it. I mean, it seems to me to be a great way to tell that story you know, with a modern perspective. Definitely not going to try to be them. We're going to be ourselves with their instruments, you know, and just have fun. You know, it's kind of like being together with old friends, you know. That's that's really cool. And uh, there's going to be a lot of fun and interesting uh, rewards for the Kickstarter. So everybody should definitely go there when it comes out, which should be over the next few days. Yep. Well, by the time this is up, maybe it will be up. And we'll definitely put it on Guitar Wink's website and uh, the Facebook. And so, um, yeah, there's really interesting little things that you can get that I'm putting up there. And I'm going to also, because of my, what I learned from Grumps TV, I'm going to make a lot of content. So it's not going to be your typical Kickstarter where I just beg you for money and that's it. I'm going to entertain people. I'm going to do like teasers on Facebook and Instagram, but I'm on the Kickstarter, but only the people who contribute will get to see it. Lots of fun, engaging video. We took a bunch of video during this trip. (laughs) <laughs> that we took, you know, there were a lot of moments just in the car, completely bored out of our skulls, you know, talking crazy and, um, <laughs> you know, and shots from gigs and talking to crazy people we ran into, you know and I mean? So, and we're going to create a lot of fun content for that. So if you, if you contribute <laughs> along with knowing you support a really fun project, <laughs> you're also going to be entertained. I promise. You know, so we so besides of uh, the obvious, getting the instruments back together after all these years, <clears throat> basically you're celebrating these three guys. Right. Um, I, I mean, I know their names. I I don't know a lot about what they did. I know they're all icons and stuff. I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about each of these guys. So some of our uh, listeners who uh, don't know, Barney. Barney was a, a really re- a great guitar player. He was really a hard swinging guy, you know. 
super uh, super melodic, you know, really harmonically inventive. Was um, aggressive player, and and these records, in my opinion, you know, and I've yet to have anybody disagree with me. These records, in particular, the pole winners, um, established the sound of the jazz guitar trio. Wow. Like before that, you know, there really wasn't much like in the way of guitar based drums. The guitar usually had like a vibes or two guitars, you know, rhythm and lead or a guitar and piano, you know, kind of thing. Uh, there wasn't a lot of guitar being the main harmonic melodic instrument in an ensemble. And these records were kind of set at that, you know, and Barney kind of set the pace for that. And because uh, he was an incredible, you know, he also arranged music and uh, and things, you know, I mean, he was in the studio, so he was very uh, instrumental, pun intended, <laughs> like with, with projects like Pet Sounds and with mentoring Phil Spector wow. and things like that. He, he was involved with that. And, and I have, along with Barney's guitar, I have, re- I have letters from Brian Wilson to Barney you know, thanking him for all his help. Did you get to check them out yet? Yeah, I've read some of them. They're really quite touching. Read letters from Oscar Peterson. Uh, you know, uh, really cool stuff, you know, and, and really touching stuff uh, from Phil Spector, various things like that. Wow. So, yeah. So, um, so that's Barney. Ray Brown, I mean, most people know about Ray Brown. He was big and... The movement forties, he played with Bird and all those guys, you know, and uh, moved out to the West Coast, you know, played on TV, played on millions of record dates, millions of studio things, TV shows. He was on the Merv Griffin show a long time. Wow! Uh, and played with everybody, and then uh, mostly his big—I don't know mo- what most people remember—he was in the Ray Brown and the Oscar Peterson trio. Oscar Peterson had a trio, of course, and um, piano player Oscar Peterson. And he, Barney was in that too for for a short time. Barney was in that for um, about a year. And then he he had to give it up because he was making so much money in the studios, he couldn't afford to go on the road with them. Was was Pass in the Oscar Peterson? No, no, no. It was Herb Ellis after. Oh, it was Herb. Okay. Barney did it. It was Herb Ellis. There's a great story here, and I'm going to pull out this biography that was written by... It's a really cool book. I suggest everybody check it out. It's called Barney Kessel, A Jazz Legend. Uh, The the writer is by a guy named Maurice Summerfield. And and they talk about Oscar, his his time with Oscar. Um, And it's really funny because, like, Supposedly, according to Ray Brown and Oscar, Barney went in there and just kicked their ass. <laughs> just, 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 you know, cut them a new asshole, you know. And, um, and like, Oscar Peterson knew he had to go back and practice if he was going to play with this guy. Wow. Which is just amazing crazy. to hear that from Oscar Peterson. Yeah, right. Yeah. We know Oscar. And, and, it's, and it's in here. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read it to you, but... You know, and so, um, and, and so Herb Ellis took over, but, but Ray Brown was the bass player with that. And then eventually they went to a drummer in that band. But Herb was in that band for many iconic records, many, many years. And then they just went to a, 
I think the story was Herb went wanted to move on, and Oscar just didn't want to have to teach another guitar player all the arrangements. And drummer, they can just kind of hear it and play. You know, there's no yeah. chords. Yep. So, uh, which Ed Thigpen, the drummer, took over for Herb. Well, you know, of course, I play with Barney. I play with Herb. And the first night I worked with Ray Brown's band with Jeff Hamilton, Ed Thigpen sat in on drums. So, you know, it's the very <laughs> first night. Wow, that's insane. So, uh, so, you know, Ray Brown, you know, gone on to produce records, make it, have his own band, you know, the Ray Brown Trio, which most of, most of it was with Gene Harris on piano and Jeff Hamilton on drums. Benny Green took over for Gene Harris. Uh, like I say, I did it a couple of times when he decided to switch from piano to guitar just to change the sound up. Um, and I'm on a record of his, you know, he did... I do want to record with him. And then uh, well, Shelly Mann. Uh, before you go on to Shelly, tell me what kind of a guy Ray Brown was. Ray Brown was like a force of nature. I mean, the guy, you felt like you were around 100 people when you were with him. <laughs> so he had just, I mean, and not just, not just big or imposing, you know, but just fun and full of life and kind of, uh, he really expected a lot of the people around him. Mm. Whatever he expected of himself, he expected of you. Right. You know, and he w was not malicious. He was not vibing about it. He just like, well, you're up here. You, you can do this. And he had this great way of explaining tunes. Like he'd be going like, he'd be playing through the tune, you know, he'd go, well, it's a cycle here. It's a cycle here. Oh, right here. It goes here. And then he'll point out this one little chord that he likes in this one spot. But the rest of the time he'd just say, oh, it's a cycle and the cycle, and the cycle here and the cycle. Oh, now we're going to here, you know, like where the landmarks are. Right. Which was really great for, you know, it was kind of the way I already looked at the music anyways, but to really cement that. And, you know, here I am, like I'm the only harmonic, I'm the har main harmonic instrument in the band. And of course, I know the melody, and he's like, you know, okay, I want it like this, I want it like this, the cycle here, the cy you know, and there's a million different cycles he's using, but they're like a cycle, you right. know. Yeah. To him, it's just, you know, and then there'd be one little moment, oh, I want this here, I want this here, and it was really great, you know, and then he was really big about uh, architecting the music, like I, sometimes I'd be playing along, and you know how I kind of like to go back and forth between chords and lines a lot. Well, he would like kind of go, no, stay single lines for a chorus. Now bring in some harmonies, you know, now comp for yourself. Now block chord solo. You know, he wanted it kind of like, like a Count Basie arrangement yep. approach. Like you're climbing stairs, you know, so the textures don't, you know, each one creates a new thing for the whole band to play around, which is a great way to look at it. You know, it was a great lesson to think of things that way. Uh Ray also knew how to take care of business. When you work with Ray, you made money or you didn't work. Right. There was, I mean, it was no bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to stay in a decent hotel, you're going to make good money, and that's, or you don't do it. You know, that was Ray. So you spent a lot of time with Ray, right? Yeah, you know, over the years, sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. There was once, man, when I did that record date, he, you know, this is back in the day of machines and shit, you know, phone machines or, you know, before voicemail, yep. you know, and I guess I was on the road and not checking my machine very much. Like one day I pick up the phone and he goes, Foreman. I said, yeah. 
It's Brown. I said, oh, hey, Ray, how are you? He says, yeah. What, you don't like me anymore? And I said, what? He says, I've been calling you for months. Where have you been? And I was like, you've been calling me for months? <laughs> I didn't get these calls? Yeah, I've been leaving messages. Why don't you check your shit? You know, it's like, oh, man. He says, well, what's up? You know, it's like, no, I, I love you, man. Well, let's play, you know. He says, I got a record date coming up. You, you want to do it? Yeah, okay, well, you know. <laughs> gave me the dates. Are you available? Yeah. You know, it's just because I ain't going to call you back, man. I know what's going to happen. You know, he's like fucking with me. <laughs> and there's, there's this famous story about Ray. He, he, he's weird. He wasn't really so big. I mean, I'm taller than he was. But in my mind, as I think back of him in my memories, he's like a foot taller than me. Wow. You know what I mean? Yep. He was so, such a big person. Yeah. And powerful person that they like whatever his size was, it was magnified by his strength of personality. You know? Wow. And he's not a little guy. He's a big guy. But supposedly, you know that that Cad the Cadillac dealership on Ventura and Tyrone? Yeah. The Cadillac Cadillac. Yeah. You know that place, right? Yeah, Ven on Ventura Boulevard, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yep. It's right there, but somewhere between Coldwater and Laurels or something, or, or Coldwater, Coldwater and Van Nuys, just yeah, yeah, just yeah. down from there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's on Tyrone. I know that's the yeah. corner. So. And um, supposedly, like in the '60s, he went into that showroom. You know, this big black guy, <laughs> and he and there was like this Cadillac. You know, one of those like this convertible, this beautiful new Eldorado, whatever. You know. And he got in the back seat, you know, and, and he's like just sitting there. It's like this leather. He's laying back and he's just stroking the, you know, the upholstery and shit, you know. And I guess like all the salesmen were kind of afraid to approach, you know. So this one guy finally goes up to him and says, um, uh, excuse me, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> This is 1964, and there's this big brother in the backseat of a car, kind of just like in fantasy world, you know. And he says, uh, are, are, you, are you thinking about buying this car? <laughs> and, and Ray looked at him and says, no. He says, I know I'm going to buy this car. I'm thinking about fucking in it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so when, he, when Ray played... Could you, like, a lot of great players, their personality really comes through their playing. And when you get to know them as a person, you realize where it's all coming from. Was he, was he that? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, he was fun and hard swinging, but he was serious. Right. Yeah. You should be having fun on the bandstand, but you don't, you know, it's like you're not fucking around. Right. You know, I mean, he, you know, he could get dark if you were if you weren't holding up your end of the bargain. You know, I saw him. I saw him actually. Re, you know, I, we were we were hanging out at somebody else's gig, and he'd take some guy aside and say, "If you're here to fuck around, then go home." You know, I'm here to listen to music, man, and I don't appreciate that. You know, you got to get that together. Nice. You can have a good time, but you got to be serious about the music. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh. But he was, yeah. I mean, but he led by example. He wasn't really. But there are famous stories of uh, him telling a guy, a guy taking a lesson from him. This supposedly, I heard this from Gerald Cannon. Okay, went to take a lesson from him, right? So he goes in. He's got his bass, and he says, "Okay, start walking the blues." Okay, 
you know, and he says, oh, you're dragging, keep the tempo up, keep the tempo up, you know, next thing he knows, Ray's not there anymore, and, and Ray had gone down to eat breakfast, and came back, and he says, hey, man, you slowed down, <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> so shit like that you know it's like he yeah and he you know he meant he was a real great mentor i mean john clayton you know he john clayton was his man you know he he loves john and for good reason john really is you know in his style and um John has gone beyond, you know, in terms of the arranging and composing and band leading. So it's really exciting, you know. And uh, he loved to play golf. Ray loved to play golf. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he, I think he brought his clubs along with his base when he went on the road. Can you imagine all the shit he's carrying around? Oh man! Yeah. Wow. Now, what about what about Shelley? Shelley was another, I mean, you said like their personality shows through. I can't think of anybody really who doesn't, that, that does, you know, I mean, now we've got these automatons that just play their ass off. But back, I think one of the reasons I, one of the many reasons I was attracted to jazz music was because of the characters that played it and how it affected the way they sounded. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it seemed like so creative. I mean, it was like this human being who quirky in this way, but then they're playing this too. You know what I mean? Shelley, uh, you know, was from New York. His wife, Flip, who's still alive. She's 100 years old. Wow. Who? Uh, Rockette. One of the original Rockette Really? <laughs> yeah. I dated a Rockette. Oh. Yeah. And um, so uh, I think Flip was a little old for you, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, anyway, um, a recent rocket, but and then they moved out to L.A. and you know he just basically took the, took over the whole town. He's just such a great musician, could play anything, had had such a such a great concept for sound. There's a, there's a couple records he made called Sound Sounds, and then there was another. I think the second one was More Sounds, and it was just him and a and a guitar player named Jack Marshall. And Barn and, and Barn uh, Shelley would play like everything from suitcases to frying pans. I mean, and you know, of course, it was in Capital where they, they they worked in Capital like every day, so they had access to the studio, and so like they had the best microphones in the world. They, this record just you can hear how like it's not just playing the drums. He's like so into sound, you know what I mean, and getting a great sound on the drums. Also, another thing Shelley was very well known for was playing ridiculously fast and no problem you know just like he was your guy if you wanted to play super up tempo have it be relaxed sound good easy to play there's some records like that sonny rollins record with the contemporary leaders uh sonny rollins where they play a version of the song as you were it's so damn fast that it's hard to even tap your hand in two four you know <laughs> wow and uh and I first met Shelley when I was in, uh, when I took over in the Monterey Jazz. Well, I played with the Monterey Jazz. They had a big guitar summit with like five guitar players, and I was in it. And the All Star Rhythm section was Hank Jones, Andy Simpkins, and Shelley Mann. And then they, after that year, they just added me guitar to to it for years. Shelley did it for a couple more years before he gave it up to a guy named Vince Ladiano. Um, 
and so, you know, I would hang with him and then I'd go down to LA and I'd play with him from time to time and uh, always stayed in touch with him. And he'd come up to San Francisco with his own band and we'd hang out. Uh, his wife was into horses too. So that kind of was another thing that uh, we had in common. And, uh, she, and Shelly was just the funniest motherfucker. He, like, he's the one, he's the one who said, Jazz means never playing the same thing once. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and supposedly, you know, because he was big in the recording industry, huge, you know, doing two and three dates a day, yep. you know, for a long time. And uh, supposedly Naris, you know, the national academy of recording arts and sciences you know the people who put on the grammys called him up for a donation you know and for the for the grammys they wanted a donation for the grammys do the show whatever and he told them he says you know i'd rather donate to the blind <laughs> <laughs> Like they were deaf, right? You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. like, totally like fucked up. You know, that that was Shelley. You know, so he was he was he was the comedic. Oh yeah, well, yeah. All, you know, all those guys were funny, and Barney was funny as shit. I mean, in a weird way, because Barney was kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm talking out my asshole here, but uh, I think if I think today we might think Barney was a little bit on the spectrum, right? You know, I mean. Like Asperger's kind of thing. I mean, he he would totally function well in society, but his interactions with people wasn't wasn't like Ray and Shelley. wasn't super warm, super easy. Barney was a little bit, you know, kind of like sharp edges to it. Yeah. And uh, but he was funny as sh he would tell shit, say shit that was so fucking funny, man. <laughs> you know, but weird funny. You know, not right. like your typical funny funny. Yep. And he always wore these clothes, you know, this bow tie that didn't go with the shirt, which didn't go with the jacket, which didn't go with the pants, you know. I mean, just this, like he was fucking colorblind or something, you know. I mean, <laughs> like a clown almost, but it was beautiful, you know. And, yep. and if you played with him, man, you're going to a knife fight. You better be ready. I mean, wow. he, he, with all the love in the world and with all the respect in the world, he was there to basically eat you alive, you know. <laughs> and if you didn't stand up for yourself, you were going to get a real whooping, you know. And everybody I've ever known, I've talked to lots of guys. Somebody, uh, Russell Malone, the other day told me, George Benson told him, man, I played with him once and it was bloody. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, he just wants to play, you know, that's just what he was. Yeah. And, um, and so he did a lot. I mean, think about the guitar trio. Now you can't give him all the credit in the world for it. You know, I'm sure the world would have figured it out, but like not just jazz. I mean, you know, which later Sonny Rollins switched to guitar based drums for his rhythm sections from piano based drums. Um, shit, rock and roll, buddy Holly seven, eight years later, was playing guitar trio. Now, I don't know that he knew who Barney Kessel was or whatever. Uh, Brian Setzer, you know, think about that. That is an ensemble that, you know, I mean, this, here's the man who put that on the map, in my opinion. Right. You know, 
and his harmonics. Just just check him out. And he know? was and and he was part of the obviously a part of the wrecking crew, a big part of that. Yes, yes, he was part of that group and did, you know, like like I say, the pet sounds and the, a lot of Beach Boys and whatever was going through LA. It's Sonny and Cher, I'm sure. I'm I mean, sure there's, a lot of I would love to see the list of tunes that he'd played on back then. It must well, it's, it's a lot of it, or maybe it's mostly the jazz stuff. I'm right. not sure, but a lot, a lot of it is in this book that I mentioned. It's called Barney Kessel, A Jazz Legend. Maybe we should put it on the on the website. I mean, on the on Facebook. I, yeah, you know, we should do that. So I'll take a picture of it and send it to you, and and you can post it because um, it's it's a great it's a fun book. I actually have a little forward in there too. Howard Alden does as well. Wes does, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, so. It's um, yeah. it's awesome. exciting, man. It's exciting to uh, to hear about these guys and their their legacy and these instruments and what you guys are going to do. Um, yeah, I think it's so cool, and I love hearing about not just what they did as players, but as who they were as people and their personalities. Because I kind of feel like you get to know them, and that you get to a glimpse for us younger folks that didn't get to see them live or what you know. I think right. it's really cool to know what kind of people they were and how they lived their life. And, I mean, God, the shit they did, amazing. Oh, yeah, it'll go down. It'll go, you know, I mean, it has gone down in history. I yeah. mean, you'll just, there, there aren't going to be people who, who do that many recordings anymore. There aren't going to be people who, you know, play with that many people and, you know, especially those. I mean, Ray Brown was married to Ella Fitzgerald for a while. You know? <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's like... Um, and a friend of mine taking it a little bit like no one's going to be wearing their underwear I don't think at the session but we might um, <laughs> Barney's amp a, a friend of mine in New York has Barney's amp and he's sending it to me for the date that's, that's a dumble? no <laughs> <laughs> joke yeah right what is it's it a, what is it it was one of those old Gibson Charlie Christian amps the G150s you know so he has it. My friend Neil in New York, you know, the the, the world's worst Jewish jazz guitar Oh, player. yeah, yeah. And he said he, he'd let, give it to the session? Yeah, he's going to send it. Wow. That's huge. So I'll, I'll record with that. You know, I love those amps. Those amps yeah. sound so good. What, what was Shelly playing? What was his kit? Do you know? Shelly was playing uh, leady drums at the time. A what? Leedy, L-E-E-D-Y. Oh, I'm not as a guitarist. A I'm not familiar. Great drummer up who I work with quite a bit up in uh, Portland area. He lives in Vancouver, Washington. His name is Gary Hobbs. Uh, I've done some recording with him too. He's what a creative, great drummer. He has those drums, so he's oh, going to loan them to me for the session. Yep, fantastic. And the cymbals, you know, Shelley was so into sound uh, he was changing his cymbals as much as we change our socks. You know. <laughs> So that's kind of out to the, you know, no one could ever really, that would be impossible. Right. So, um, yeah, and we're just going to get together and come up with cool ways. And again, various things on the Kickstarter will affect what we do because, uh, 
Actually, one of one of the rewards is you can be the executive producer of the session, which means you get to come to it and hang out for both days, and for any drinking and dining we do along with it, and you get to pick one of the songs that we're going to play. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. So, so have you talked to um, uh, Downbeat or the Jazz Times about this yet, or not? Uh, you know, I really haven't, and I probably should should jazz guitar magazine is i've talked to them about it right and i think vintage guitar magazine as well yeah friend of mine you know rusty rusty russell who was yeah, on the rusty left. yeah we just um, had on yeah he, he you know along i don't even know if he mentioned amongst the many careers he's had <laughs> he, he wrote for a guitar player and vintage guitar and a lot of magazines he was a he actually wrote for time magazine too and then he was a photographer for all those yeah, yeah. I mean, what a talented, amazing guy. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, that's basically what I've been up to. You know, I'm home in California. I want the guitar to get acclimated to California weather. Then I'll bring it in and get it set up. It's still playable. It's playing kind of okay. It's hard to play, but it's playable. Yeah. Get it kind of wait till the you know till it resettles into more moist climate because it's been up in Colorado where it's super dry. What so what year is it? Do you know? Barney says it was like a forty something, but most people I know who know about Gibson say that's not likely because it, they didn't make the ES models until the fifties. I don't think it's an ES three fifty. It's if it had been an acoustic for the forties, it would have been an L seven. Hmm. Because an ES350 is like an L7 that's been electrified. Right. So a lot of people think it might have been more like early 50s and Barney was mistaken. But all I want everybody to know, all you got to do is go on YouTube and put in Barney Kessel talks about his guitar. And there's a good video. It's like a minute long. And he goes over, it's this guitar. It's this. I put this kind of pick. You know, he, it, the guitar is a fucking pound puppy. And it's like... You know, in terms of just being a guitar, it's trashed. Right. It's been cracked so much and stepped on, and the input jack is probably broken out of it so many times that they it's it's got a steel plate around it. You've seen when that happens, right? Yeah, yeah. There's like a steel plate around the input jack just to keep it stable. Um, <laughs> cracks all along the side. They've been fixed. So was Barney a hands-on guy with the guitar? Like, no, he no. No, there's some guy on on one of my Facebook posts. They mentioned the name of the guy in Glendale who did a lot of the work. Ah, uh, okay. And for, between you and me, he frankly he should be spanked. For <laughs> it. I think I think he's passed away too by now. But you know, I was on the road with Barney in Australia when the uh, headstock got broken, and whoever put it back on did one of the shittiest jobs I've ever <laughs> seen on that. Some bloody Aussie. Like when your hands up there, it's almost like you're getting splinters, you know. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, was, what was Barney's reaction when you were there, obviously? Yeah, oh, he was pissed. and well, I, He was mad at me a lot because I got my guitar on the plane, and he didn't. <laughs> but he ended up playing my guitar a lot of the gig. Yeah. Because we weren't playing together. I was playing in that Monterey Jazz Festival All-Star Band, and he was playing with the great guitars. So there were two different sets. So I could give him my guitar to play 
when you know when the great guitars play right this is your l5 five the yeah. one I, I sold fairly recently yeah um, yep. and uh and yeah but but the drag was like they used to let me sit in with them now that i didn't have my guitar i couldn't sit in with them you know? <laughs> so uh but yeah, but whoever put that thing back together did a shit. I mean, it's just not a. I'm sorry. It's just a. It's it's you know. It's a, it's a rough pound puppy. You wow. know, like it's like a junkyard dog. Yeah. You know, what I mean? a lot of scars. You know, but it it's got that sound, man. I mean, you can listen to those posts I made, right? You hear it. For some reason, the mixture. You know, and you know, I'm around wounds kind of a now an acoustic-y sounding guy. I mean, that's what I like. And I still, that's my favorite sound, which I use. But flat wounds with this Charlie Christian pickup, which this is one of the original ones from the 30s. There's, you know, like usually flat wounds are real like, you know, you can't hear a fucking note. They're, you know what I mean? They're like, it's like the guitar's got a condom. Too, like it's wearing two condoms. You know what I mean? <laughs> And um, although it's a great, fe they feel great. And I used to play them myself. You know, I just felt like particularly the low three strings were just kind of, well, approximating an electric bass or something, you know. On this guitar, maybe that pickup, it's a wonderful combination. So now I've got a guitar with flat ones that sounds great. And I've got, a, you know, my acoustic round wound guitar. So I really have two different cool sounds. So I'm I'm really happy about that, and um, obviously the, this isn't the only project I'll probably do with this guitar. I don't know. If, have you have you have we ever sat down and listened to her name is Julie the record the Julie London record? No, not. Okay, well Julie London was a singer. Man, she was so fine. She was such a beautiful, like classic Nordic beautiful woman. Um, and she was so fine that she made these records and like every guy bought them. Uh, they'd have these pictures of her on the cover, you know. <laughs> Why does, I suddenly want to Google her and these pictures right oh, now. Oh, 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 oh. And, and her, the big one was Her Name is Julie. That was kind of the introducing Julie London record. And it was just Barney and a bass player and Barney just made up the arrangements, I'm sure. You know, like, what tune do you want to do? Okay, here's the arrangement. Okay, and they're all like short two and three minute songs, you know. I think there's like 20 songs on the record, you know. And, um, and of course, it's this guitar. But there's one particular song, Cry Me a River, which is on there, which has this classic introduction. I'll kind of play it acoustically on my guitar if you can hear it. It's like, it goes like. You know, which you're pretty cool, right? You know? Yeah. And uh, it's just like such an iconic thing, you know, for jazz guitar. And then she sings, now you say you're sorry, you know. And, um, Anyways, you know, like that would be a really cool thing to do is maybe get a bunch of different singers and kind of re redo a similar project to that with that guitar. And actually, that's one of going to be one of the rewards at my Kickstarter for a certain amount of money. 
I will go to your house anywhere in the United States and get a singer and we'll do a duo concert and I'll play the Barney's guitar and we'll do kind of a Julie London vibe. Oh, that's, that's super cool. So, that, you know, that's what a great way to support this project, right? Yeah, you're getting so value thinking for about money. maybe doing that. I mean, you know, this is kind of a fun way to, this age, in my age, you know, I know a lot about the history. I know where a lot of the instruments are because I knew those guys. I know who plays in those styles, you yeah. know, so I'd be a good guy to kind of put these projects together. And it's, it's really, man, I don't know, I feel really super energized and excited about it, you know. So, uh, you know, kind of like, well, you know, I've come this far. I, this is the next thing to do with this. I, I think it's, it's super exciting. I think it's an amazing project, and I'm, I'm excited to see how it all turns out, man. I think a lot of people are going to get behind this, and, of course, we're going we're gonna to pump the hell out of it on Guitar Wank here and everywhere else. And are you announcing where you're recording yet or not? No, no, no. We haven't really decided, but... Yep. Uh, a real bro, and we will, we will. A real bro just came through because the one problem is I wanted to do the recording where they did it, but it was in a place that no longer exists. Right. So, um, yeah, we could do it at Capitol, which which is still an option because uh, you know how much they both played there. But Capitol really didn't open till I think the late fifties. You know, they were making these. They they had already been making a ton of records around town. You know. Was this before, um, and excuse my jazz ignorance here, but was this before Bird and no, Parker? No, This is Charlie, Bird and Parker come out after, after this. Charlie Did, Parker, no, it was before. Charlie Parker or Bird was, um, he was the 40s. But they come to the West Coast, right, at, at one point too, didn't they? Bird did come to the West Coast, yes, and, and played with all the West Coast guys, but... Earlier, earlier, earlier okay. than the late fifties when Barney was winning the thing. Yeah. Right, but yeah, did Bird and Diz came to the West Coast? Bird actually ended up in the uh, the mental hospital in Camarillo. Really, uh, for a while. Yeah, oh, um, that'll do that to you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, and yeah, they all came west for a while. Uh, but that was earlier. No, this is later. This is the fifties. Kind of what else was going on, you know, uh, Miles Davis band, Kind of Blue, came out in 59. The Julie London came out in 58. Uh, Bar- but they won the poll from 57 through 60, you know. So the West Coast thing, and even Kind of Blue, was sort of considered almost West Coast-ish, like the cool jazz, mm-hmm. they called it, right. you know which was also called West Coast Jazz. Everybody says, oh, yeah, everybody's living out in California where the weather's always nice, and, you know, it's easy to get around, you know, not so much hostility and stress, so the music's a lot more relaxed and, you know, not as intense as New York. But Barney, boy, he was an intense player, you know. he And, and when I was on the road with him, and it's great because some there's one particular night I really remember in Holland um, because uh, Shelly Mann died that night. And, like, we found out just before we went on the stage. Oh. And actually, somebody sent me a, re- a recording of it. You know, they, they, it was like a radio. The, it, when it was live on the radio. 
Anyways, but um, we played in Holland, and I remember Barney, you know, because I was on the road with him then, and he picked me to go with him. Like, they asked him, okay, Barney, we're going to hire you, and we want you to bring a young guitar player. Who do you want? And he said me. And so I did this tour. You know, it's kind of one of those, you know, established guy and young, promising guy, you know. So, um, Barney, we're sitting at dinner one night, and Barney says to me, he says, you probably wonder, what, what, you wonder why I picked you? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, I know a lot of guys he could have gotten, you know, I mean, he could have gotten Doug Rainey, he was already living in Europe, that would have been easy, or, uh, or Howard Alden, you know what I mean, he was playing around at that time, and, and boy, they're both great, you know what I mean, um, and he says, yeah, he says, you play like me, but you don't play the way, no, you play the way I play, but you don't play like me, is what he said. He says, and then he went on and said, yeah, I know, I can hear exactly where you're coming from. Bird and Count Basie. He says, those are my guys too. He said, yeah, you know, you're just doing it a different way than me. I really like that, you know. Wow. So... And, you know, as you know, you probably read my bio, half of it is quotes from Barney Kessel, so. So, um. <clears throat> that, that night in Holland when Shelly. We, we got the news, like, from a uh, guy this famous, I, I don't think he's alive anymore, a, a booking agent named Abby Hoffer. He booked a lot of the acts that were on this tour, um. He came and told us and said, Shelly, I got bad news. Shelly died, you know. So. Yeah, but that must have obviously affected all you guys. Barney, had Barney handle that? We all did. I mean, Barney was very, uh, you know, some people handle it different than others. You know what I mean? But when you go to play, it's beautiful because, you know, that's where you go to that space that's, safe and you know you can still feel that stuff but you're you're transcending that other thing you know what i mean music music is an amazing uh amazing process you just you you do it if you're feeling bad you're feeling good you, whatever you're feeling you just can go there and fly you know um in many ways the more feelings you have the more it makes music mm. so um yeah you know yeah you know if your old lady's giving you a hard time man you start playing it's like this is the one place she can't get you yet you know <laughs> <laughs> how long was that tour with bonnie was that i don't recall i really don't recall yeah. man you know i really should have kept records because, you know, the older I get, the less I remember. And uh, But I've always been a guy who just wants to make the next memory. Yeah. You know, half the time people remind me of stuff I did. You know, I remember that night when we were sitting there for dinner and he told me that thing. I remember when we were told Shelly died. Those are moments like that are like... Blueprints. Yeah, really printed. But yeah. Yep. You know, I remember when I played with Barney at this place. I don't remember what year it was. I don't remember what happened. Like, there's a story. 
and I probably told it. Sorry, everybody. Um, Barney and I are playing this club south of San Francisco. It's called the Bach Dancing and Dynamite Society. And um, this beautiful beach house that has concerts. And so I'm there. And then Phyllis, his widow later after Barney passed, told me the story. She said, well, you know that gig you played, da-da-da-da? I said, yeah. So this must have been right before he had a stroke because they weren't married a long time before that. She said, uh, you know, he, Barney's kind of a control freak. He always likes to drive, you know, da-da-da-da. She said, but this one day we're, we're in San Francisco at this hotel and we got to drive all the way down to this gig. And Barney says to me, I want you to drive. So you figure, whoa, okay. You know, so she drives. But Barney gets in the back seat and starts playing his guitar. And she's going, what are you doing? You know, like she's gone with him to gigs for years now, you know, and hanging out. And, and he said to her, he says, I'm playing with Bruce Foreman. I got to practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Believe me, he was loaded for bear that day. You know? <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. And, um, I mean, back, I guess when he was doing the, the, um, the, the, like the back with the wrecking crew and stuff like that, he was on a tally most of the time, yeah, I think he said. I have a picture I've seen, and again, in this book, there's a lot of that. Yeah, it looks like a tally. Yeah. And probably, I mean, probably a day, it was so early. It's probably one of those no casters. Yeah. You know, before the telly. God, I wonder where that is. Jesus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But, um, but he was, he was one of these cats that, could quite easily cross over back and forth. Well, you know, I mean, back then, man, it wasn't like it is now. No, no, of course not. This guy, you know, wouldn't, I don't think if it it were like now, he'd be able to cross over. No, but back back then, then, back then, the skills needed to do that music in the studio because it was all, you know, it was written and there were good arrangers, you know, arranging it for these guys. I mean, these guys really didn't, they'd write, you know, a three or four chord song and then there'd be all these, you know, arrange, you know, arrangements around with modulations and hooks. Where did the hooks come from? You know, people like Carol Kay and Barney Kessel could write hooks. Mm, yeah. You know, no other than the instrumental hooks that the songs already had, but yeah. you know, those instrumental hooks. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they weren't really bands that were like up at that level in rock. Rock was very primitive at that time. You know, now in a very short period of time, the bands took over and they just recorded their own records. They didn't use those guys. Yeah. Yeah. But at the beginning, it was just kind of, oh, yeah, there's these bands. They need help. You know, I mean, they've got a cool thing going. The kids love them and we can sell a lot of records. And then, you know, there were the geniuses like Brian Wilson. But even that, like these records, these letters attest, you know, he was so grateful for Barney, you know, for all the help he did and coming up with uh, ideas for the pet sound and really helping him get was what was in his head onto the record. Wow. That's, um, those letters have got to be worth something. I mean, yeah, I guess. Th- yeah. Th- that's huge. I, I, I want, are you, do you know what you're going to do with them? Are you going to release any I'm of them? Or? With the guitar. Yeah. I think, that, I think really, I mean, if I ever need money, I'll think about that in a different time. You right. know, right now I've got enough money to kind of make it to McDonald's and back. So, um, you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm cool. Yeah. I think the, those things need to be with the guitar. 
but I would like, you would you ever like release like you know a, a photo of them and and stuff like oh, that? Sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'd be happy. Yeah. If somebody were to like email me and say, "God, I want to see one of those records. What does it look like?" Yeah. You know, I'd be happy. Uh, probably. I mean, other it depends on how much work it is for me to dig it out and yeah. do it. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think stuff, I think that stuff should stay with the guitar. Oh, I don't yeah. know. If, if if I can do well enough in my life, uh, I might want to. There's this wonderful place in Phoenix called the Music Instrument Museum. They have Charlie Christian's guitar, and uh, maybe that would be a really great place for it to be, with the condition that people get to play it. You know, like maybe they do a thing where they bring in a different artist every year to do a concert on it or something. You know, if I could work that kind of a deal, yeah. I, feel good about it going in that direction i know of a couple of young guitar players who are amazing players who are really devoted to barney and love his playing they never got to meet him unfortunately but they work with me so they would be good custodians for the guitar after me yeah you know? yeah uh, it's so weird to be even think that way yeah no, no not this this is um but, but the guitar the red guitar is going to be the guitar that you know that all yeah, this you just and, and you know the funny thing is is this whole Barney thing is really nothing more than chapter two of the Red Guitar Story. Yeah, it's really all. I mean, what the Red Guitar Story is about, that guitar is about. You know, and and that guitar for the for the bulk of his jazz playing career. I mean, like ninety nine percent of the time he was playing jazz, recording and or playing, he played that guitar. I mean, you know how it is with guitar players. We're like Amel DeMarcos was with shoes. Yeah. You know, and if we're playing a different one every other day. We get a new endorsement. We're moving on to this and that and this and that, right? Barney didn't. And not that he didn't have opportunity to. They made that damn Barney Kessel model. He hated it. He thought it was ugly. <laughs> right there. And it was Who made that? Hated. Was it Gibson? Gibson made the Barney Kessel guitar. Here, I'll show it to you. Oh, you've got it? Well, no, there's a lot among the stuff I got. I got some LPs that the guy had. Ah. And um, and one of them has him with the with the Barney Kessel. Okay, so this is uh, a Paul Winters record. Oh, okay, yep. I've seen and that it, album before, yeah. It, this is uh, just a Barney record. It's called Swingin' Easy. Uh, you see what guitar? That's the guitar I've got. Yeah. This one, working out with the Barney Kessel Quartet, has the actual Barney Kessel Gibson. Oh, I can see. He always hated this thing. It looks like a longhorn. It's got double-pointed cutaways. Yeah. Big headstock. He hated it. Um, here's another one, live from Europe. Of course, <laughs> the same guitar I've got, right? Yeah. Here's the first poll winner's record. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, and this is a Shelly Mann and his men record, volume one. He made a number of these. And Barney's on this. Yeah. Some really great arrangers did some stuff for it. It's got like Shorty Rogers, but, but like Bill Holman and Marty Page did arrangements. You know. And... Um, Jimmy Jufri. It's amazing stuff, man. History. It's, um, it all goes so quick, man. Yeah. 
What goes so quick? So uh, I think this is an amazing adventure that you're uh, you're on, Bruce, and I'm super excited about it. This is. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so cool. glad to be able to share it with everybody. You know, I hope I hope all our listeners are digging this story. You know, you know, and it's it's also don't give up. Don't give up, man. You know, I was friends with Barney. We loved each other. You know, he was always in my thoughts, you know, how can I not, you know, I mean, I liked his playing, you know, I got to play with him, you know, and, and, uh, that guitar, I wanted it and I wanted to do this project and then it kind of got away from me, but I, I stayed with it and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. And, um, I, I checked out some, Barney's got a, he's got a couple of online lessons, right? That you can watch on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, There's lots of stuff online. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to, if you want to find out more about Barney Kessel, everybody, it's pretty easy to do. There's numerous, you know, shows of him playing with different people. Uh, there's tons of recordings. Yeah. Tons of records out. Um, it's a fun rabbit hole to go down on uh, on YouTube and check out all that stuff. If you look there, he'd put out a book called, I think just called The Guitar. I've got it. Yeah, it's called the guitar. Barney Kessel the guitar, and it's his teaching method. And frankly, it's kind of weird. But <laughs> you know, I mean, he had, he, like I say, he had his own way of looking at things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, of course, he might. You know, Barney could be sitting there going, "What are you doing, man? That guitar is nothing." You know, it's like because I want. He used to say, people would come up to him and say to him, "Man, that, that guitar sounds great." And he, and you know, he'd, he'd be on the break from the gig, right? And so yeah. the guitar would be on the guitar stand, which I have the guitar stand that he carried around oh, everywhere. No I, way, I've got. <laughs> and um, the guitar would be on the stand. And the guy'd say, "Yeah, that guitar sounds great." And Barney would look at him and go, "Really?" He says, "How does it sound now?" <laughs> Oh, that's quick, man. Yeah. That's some quick shit right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? How does it sound now, man? Yeah. Wow. Oh, this is exciting, Bruce. I'm so happy for you, man. And and I I can't wait. I can't wait for this all to get going. I'm sure all the Guitar Wank listeners will get behind this. Go check out Barney's videos and stuff. So you get a sense of what uh, the guy was if you don't know much about him because it's really interesting. And then you'll know more about and be more connected with what Bruce is doing with all these instruments. It's yeah, and, super you know, cool. I mean, and check out those Paul Winters records because they really are, you know, I mean, you'll hear a lot of things. I mean, Barney was uh, a go-for-it kind of guy. He wasn't the cleanest guitar player you ever heard. You know what I mean? There's a lot of... Kind of like me, grabbing for shit and not quite getting it. You know what I mean? And um, what? Tell me this, Bruce. What did you? What did you steal from Barney? Well, I didn't. You know, uh, just the concept of the pianistic concept of playing the guitar, mm-hmm. and that in a, in a, you know that that it was that that melody and harmony all work together. That, that it was possible to play in block chords or in play in harmonized lines, you know, or counterpoint. Um, that it was, you know, the, the, the many cool voicings you could use to get tension inside of, you know, like 
It's deceptive cadences and surprise things. All those things he did that just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know. But I, I didn't just get it from him. I got it from piano players and horn players, too. Right, you know? right. I kind of got it from the same place he did, but it was just so great. Here was this guy who was doing it, you know what I mean? And I could kind of start where he was and jump on his shoulders in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Which is how music works, you know. Some guy comes along and invents, you know, he creates a different way of doing things, and then everybody just starts there. Yeah, yeah. He changed the starting line, you know. Were you so, um, were you a yeah. big fan? Obviously, a, a big fan before you had the chance to meet and hang with Barney. Yeah, yeah, I was a big fan of his. Like my favorite guys were always West, George Benson, Joe Pass, and Barney Kessel. Yeah, there, you know, and Jim Hall and Jimmy Rainey and Tal Farlow. I mean, and Kenny Burrell, of course. You know, I liked all those guys, but I was really mostly listening to Red Garland and Winton Kelly and Herbie Hancock and Charlie Parker and John Coltrane. Those, those were the people I was really listening to. Um. You know, and and Barney even intimated as much. He says, yeah, that's why you play different than everybody. Mm. Yeah, because there was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bore everybody with some, with some self-congratulatory shit here. <laughs> now do it. Um, Phyllis Kessel, Barney's wife, widow, sent me, oh, it should be. Oh, I must have put it in a different folder. That's right. I wouldn't have thrown it away. Uh, shit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Another story. Okay. So, Phyllis must have told this guy who was a friend of hers in Barney's, um, who stays in touch with her. She said, I shared your story about your getting a guitar and the, and the photo, and this is his answer. Phyllis, this is a fantastic story. Thanks so much for sharing it with me. Here's an interesting story. I joined Barney in D.C. in 1984 for a weekend with the Great Guitars. One afternoon, Herb, Charlie, and Barney and me were sitting at a table at Charlie's for dinner. Music was playing in the background. Suddenly, Barney called our attention to a particular tune and mentioned that the artist was a new kid on the scene. It was Bruce Foreman. <laughs> I recall Herb and Charlie not paying much attention. But Barney leaned over to me and said something like, most guitar players I hear are trying to sound like someone else, but this fellow is an original. Wow. So it's only fitting That's... that 37 years later, Barney's guitar ends up with you, Bruce. As you noted, it was meant to have a happy end. And we owe the guy who sold it to me a big thank you. Yeah, yeah. And now it's on to Bruce to make sure that the next chapter is also a good one. What a great story, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got, to be honest with you, you know, ever since I put this on Facebook, I've gotten so much love, man. You know, it's better than a birthday. Yeah. I mean, everybody says, man, you're the right guy to have it. Even guys, you know, who I think in some ways would be better to have it than me, you know. They're all saying, no, man, you're the guy that should have this. It's really great, you know. So, I mean, getting that kind of, affirmation respect and love from people has really been uh just unbelievably heartwarming yeah yeah i just i can't tell you you know it's like so but most of all it's humbling you know because now i've got to fucking bring i gotta bring it i gotta deal you know <laughs> i gotta 
I mean, because when you get praise like that, at least oh, what I think is I have to be worthy of it. Yeah, yeah. That's all I think of, Yeah, you know. Well, I know you are, and I know you're going to do all of this. You're going to do such a great job on all of this, and we will all support it, man. We'll get behind it and, uh, okay, and well, give it a good kickstart. And I uh, thank everybody for going on listening to this, you know what I mean? And I thank you in advance for any support you decide to do. Hope one of y'all is the executive producer. <laughs> That'd be we can hang cool. out at the date, you know what I mean? So we we'll, you're going to release the Kickstart and we'll promote it, uh, obviously, on all platforms everywhere to make sure everyone knows about it. There's a thing with Kickstart. You got you to, gotta like, when you get it all together, you have to submit it to them and then they look at it to make sure you're not breaking any laws or anything. Right. Like selling people into slavery or anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then you then – I think it only takes a day or two and then, then you can do it. Yep. And wow. So it'll probably be about a forty-five day campaign. Yeah, and I'm even thinking of trying to get Barney, Bernie Sanders to help me out. You know, imagine, or I'll get I'll get somebody to to do a an imposter, you know, like thing, um, an impression. Okay, you have line science. Barney, twenty twenty one, feel the barn. <laughs> yeah, you know what you got to do. You got to post that. That picture are you sent of uh, Clint Eastwood holding the Barney Kessel album. Oh yeah, right, right. I mean, that's that was pretty f- crazy then that you sent that, and I mean, you were hanging out with Clint, and then this all happens, and you right. send that picture. I know. Yeah. So crazy, man. It's interesting. I think this is great coming out of this COVID BS that we had to deal with. Well, and, um, that's the other thing, man. Just just traveling. You know, we live in California, and California is uh, very mask-centric. The rest of the world's kind of opened up, man. Yeah. And my vaccine was put to the test, I'm telling <laughs> you. There's some bars in Wyoming, man. I don't know. You know, if I were COVID, I would, you know, I'd be hanging there, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, so far, so good. I mean... You and you on this trip that you went out to pick up the guitar. You had a bunch of gigs. Where'd you play again? I played in Fort Collins, Colorado. I played in uh, Arvada, which is really de- uh, a suburb of Denver, and um, and Salt Lake City. And where I played in Salt Lake City, there's this guy named Kent Sanders Bookstore, and he's like, it's weird to play in a bookstore where the owner's more famous than the musicians, you know. <laughs> But this guy, he's like the like the only original hippie from Utah, I think. You know, he looks kind of like R. Crumb, if you know who that is. Yeah. Anyways, like an old hippie from the '60s, and um, most people know him because he was the he's the um, he's the rare book uh, appraiser for Antiques Roadshow. Oh, okay. So if there's yeah. ever an old book about he's the something, guy. It's Ken Sanders who does the, oh, this is worth, this came from this, this was worth this. You know, I mean, he knows all that. He's, he's got this huge rare bookstore there in, in Salt Lake. Yep. And he has concerts in it. And I was like the first concert back. Wow. Now he's selling my novel in his store. Love it. And it's a really rare book because nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, um, but he also, he had to do, there was a, just just check out 
there's a Netflix series called Murder Among the Mormons. He also plays an important part in that. Wow. So okay, I'll just leave I, it there. I won't ruin it for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I know it. I've been wanting to watch that. So, oh, man, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that was really cool. You know, a lot of Californians are moving to Salt Lake. It's not the way it used to be. Like, to get a drink in Salt Lake, you had to basically give blood and, you know, join three clubs and then go around the back and get it out of a paper bag kind of thing, you yeah. know. Now they got bars and people are just hanging out. A lot of Californians are moving there because they can all work remote now since COVID and yeah. the real estate's cheaper. Although although everybody there is complaining about California's making the prices go up, you know. Right. Uh it's such a beautiful city and it's, you know, if, if you're the kind of person that likes outdoor recreation, that's the place. Hiking, hiking, skiing, skiing oh my God, area, yeah. Yeah. it's all right there. I mean, it's right there. It's like, you know, from Salt Lake City in a half hour, you can be skiing practically. Yeah. Oh, it's, a, a it's a cool city. I've spent some time there. It's a, it's a pretty cool city. And, and Corey Chris Jansen, you know, was was there. He came by the gig and sat in and played Barney's guitar. So yeah, it was and great. you play you should you play with uh, Sean McGowan. Sean McGowan in uh, in in Arvada too. Yeah. yeah, I saw Sean just got a new job as. Yeah, he's he's now the chair of of the music department at the University of Colorado Denver. I think it is right. Congrats uh, to Sean. Yeah, no, yeah, he was just getting it. I He told me he'd gotten it that day when I was there. Yeah. Oh. They just officially announced it today. Good on for the him. Web. Sean's great. And, I, boy, they couldn't get a great guy. He, you know, he was at USC. He was just graduating the year I started. Yeah. Wow. But what a talented player. Oh, you know? yeah. And it's, it's real sweet out of a guy. Really yeah. lovely oh, totally. guy. Oh, totally. Bruce, man, this is an awesome episode to uh, – to, to bring our peeps back to, I really enjoyed that. That's that's All fun, right. and, and I'm excited. We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get more more uh, regular here, right? Yeah, we're gonna get back into it more regular. Our, we we have take our We're gonna take our metamucil and get regular. You know? <laughs> we're gonna get regular. God, we need it. We'll catch up with Scotty Boy wherever hell he is. Um, yeah, we got know where he is. we got Tommy coming up at some point. Manuel. Yeah. Tommy, we're just na- trying to nail down the days. Yeah, guys in Nashville that want to come back. Yeah. So Joe so Robinson. We'll, yeah, we're going to get checked down. We're Guthrie Trap. I'm, I love what Guthrie's doing. He's just he kicking us. Come back. Uh, there's a few guys there. So yeah. there's that. You know, now that we kind of got this Zoom thing together, we you know feel comfortable. There's a lot of guys we can get. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. And thank you to Rusty Russell the other week. He was fantastic. Really. Really. really good. I gotta call him about that Paul Franklin story. I gotta find out what yeah, the deal with yeah, that you is. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> he, he, I, left, I he left me hanging, and it's it's killing me. It's like what he was like. Ah, I want to tell you about the Paul Franklin story, but can't tell you on air. So I gotta find out what the hell that is about. Right. So, right. Uh, but okay. Um, awesome. All right. Well, uh, I'm gonna go. I don't know. I got ants. I gotta let him out. Go know, do right? it. I love you, man. I love what you're doing. I love your work. Love you, man. Kick, God, kick we'll hang soon, okay? Will do. And um, we'll get this out and uh, we'll uh, let's catch up. Let's do this again ASAP. Okay, man. All right, man. Have a good one. I'll you talk too. to you tomorrow. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.